0: So you know when you're having dinner with people, especially people that you know, there are some topics that it's just best to avoid. For example, when I have dinner with my family, there are some safe topics. Those things are usually what we're eating, Uh, the wine that's being consumed, Uh, we're pretty safe talking about work, and we're fine talking about our previous and upcoming overseas trips. So they're the safe topics in my family, and I wonder if you can think about what they might be for yours, but once the conversation ventures into things like politics, religion, the Middle East, war, anything like that, it's best to duck and cover, and so when I'm sitting at the dinner table with my family, I either try and avoid those conversations, or I try and stay out of them as much as possible. Um, For those of you who know me and know that I like a good argument, the fact that I play peacemaker in my family should be a pretty good indication of what our dinner table conversations can be like. Jesus, on the other hand, was not a peaceful, peacemaking dinner guest. In fact, the three times that Jesus eats with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke, he makes things really uncomfortable. He certainly knew what the controversial topics were, and he didn't shy away from them. He challenged the social conventions and the moral values of the other guests. On one occasion, around the dinner table, Jesus lays into the Pharisees about being clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside because they neglect justice, they walk all over people, and they love to sit in the seats of power. Talk about an awkward dinner guest. It's actually kind of surprising that Jesus even gets invited back a third time, like we're going to see in the story today. So like Elliot said, we are in a series called Who Did Jesus Eat With? And it's been said that Jesus ate and drank his way through the Gospel of Luke to the point where he earns the reputation of glutton as a drunk and as a friend of sinners. So we're talking about a time in history where who you invite over for dinner and who invites you over for dinner has a huge impact on your social standing to eat together created a special bond, and who you ate with, who invited you over, and who you invited, who accepted your invitation, could define your place in society. So, Jesus' willingness to eat with and to accept invitations from both the respectable and the disreputable, from the influential and the marginalised, stood out to those around him. So, in the first week of our series, Mick shared about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Mick challenged us to think about how often we find ourselves sitting around tables with people who aren't Christian and who society doesn't like. And last Sunday, Andrew preached on another passage where Jesus is eating with Pharisees and a woman who is labelled a sinner pours perfume on Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair and Jesus praises her for her humble service and then he rips into the Pharisees for not treating him the way a guest should be treated. And Andrew challenged us by asking, if we aren't inviting marginalised and outcast people to eat with us, are we missing the point? Have we missed Jesus' kingdom announcement that the marginalised and the outcasts, the sinners, are the ones that the kingdom is for? And our story today follows a similar theme, which shouldn't surprise us too much, because Jesus regularly announces that the kingdom is for people that we least expect, So if you want to follow along, the passage for today is Luke 14, 1 to 24. Luke 14, 1 to 24. It says this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then Jesus asked the Pharisees, if one of you had a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may be invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes and he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he said to his servant, He he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go, go out quickly into the streets, alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has already been done, but there is still room. So the master told his servant, go out into the country roads and the lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who was invited will get to taste of my banquet." So we find Jesus eating at a prominent Pharisee's house on the Sabbath, and he is being carefully watched. And these Pharisees were the leaders of their movement and the leading scholars of the day. And it's possible that they were watching Jesus closely to try and catch him out in one of the bizarre things that they'd heard he had been doing. And these Pharisees were strict adherents to the law, and they believed that if everyone could just keep the law for one day, that God would send the Messiah to overthrow Rome and that all would be put right. So the Pharisees regularly miss Jesus being the arrival of the kingdom because he's not what they're expecting. So when Jesus starts out this dinner by healing a man on the Sabbath, which is a total no-no, you can tell that it's going to be an interesting evening. And in a way that only Jesus can, he shuts the Pharisees down when he asks the question, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? And they have no response. For Jesus, the answer to that question is always yes. And so Jesus heals the man and turns his life upside down. And this healing is an announcement of who Jesus is and what the kingdom is like. It's an upside-down kingdom and an unexpected kind of king. And then the tables turn, and Jesus starts watching the Pharisees, and he noticed how the guests all jostle for positions of honour at the table. And so he makes things even more awkward. He becomes that guest and tells them a parable that cuts to the heart of their greed and their lust for positions of power and honour. Jesus explains that if you put yourself in the highest position, there's a very good chance that someone will come along of a higher standing than you. And you will be left with no option but to move to the only seat that's left available at the table, which is the seat in the lowest position, So Jesus says, lower yourself, put yourself in the lower seat from the outset so that when the host invites you to move to a higher position, you will be honoured. And this would have been unheard of in a culture where honour was the goal and shame was to be avoided at all costs. So Jesus, the awkward and contentious dinner guest, challenges the Pharisees' ideas about how the kingdom works and what it takes to be great in the kingdom. They thought it was about earning favour and honour in God's eyes, and Jesus tips it upside down. He urges them to lower themselves, but their pride and their greed have blotted out their generosity and their hospitality. And their desire to be first and to put their own needs first have stopped them being generous towards others. But as Jesus says elsewhere, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And then Jesus takes it a step further. He says, in fact, rather than inviting friends or family, the rich and the prestigious, those who can repay you, when you have a meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, those who won't be able to repay you. And this would have seemed crazy to people in Jesus' day. And I wonder if you've ever done anything like this, whether you have ever given generously to someone who can't repay you. This is what it looks like to love and to give to others the way Jesus loves and gives to us. And as if the conversation hasn't been contentious enough, Jesus tells one more parable to really hit the point home. He says, A man is throwing a banquet and invites heaps of guests. But at the last minute, they all start sending messages back with the servants saying that they can't come. I've been thinking about this week how this has to be the most relatable passage in the Bible. I wonder if you've ever hosted a party in recent years or months and gotten those last-minute text messages where people say, sorry, I can't come. Apparently, it's not just a millennial issue. It's been happening for years. And as you can probably understand if you've been in that position, the host of the party was pretty annoyed and so sends the servant out to find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to bring them to the party. This is the very definition of hospitality. Inviting and welcoming the stranger in. This is who Jesus is and the kind of kingdom he has come to establish. And Jesus turns things completely upside down by associating with the wrong kinds of people, touching the untouchable and calling the nobodies. Jesus invites sinners, social outcasts, tax collectors, those in his day that no one else wanted to associate with, to the table and into the kingdom. And this is exactly what he's asking those of us who seek to follow him to do as well. Jesus is saying, when you have a meal, this is the kind of people to invite because this is the kind of kingdom that I'm launching. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus is showing what the kingdom is like to the Jews, but they have a bunch of excuses and reasons why they won't come in. And the Pharisees here are at risk of missing the point both in who they invite to the table... And what the kingdom is like because they're too preoccupied with their status and the busyness of their lives. And how easy is it it for us to do the same? To become so preoccupied with our status and how busy we are and our list of excuses that we miss what Jesus is up to around us and miss out on opportunities to love and serve and show hospitality to those around us. But this is the kind of world that we are invited to imagine. Jesus didn't come to offer us good advice that we could either take or leave. He came announcing the kingdom of God and demonstrating what it's like. It seems that Jesus really did want people to hear this as a radical call to who to invite to dinner, that when we have dinner, we should be inviting the poor, the outcast and those who can't repay us. But on another level, this parable is about who is invited into the kingdom. So there are two layers at play here. One is for us to actually think about who we invite over for dinner at our house. And another is to imagine a world where love and welcome are the foundation of all human interactions, where we don't exclude people on the basis of race, of class, or of morals. A world where we can help and invite people and expect nothing in return. Where Christians are constantly moving towards the other and inviting them to our tables, into our lives, and inviting them into the kingdom. And this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus is trying to help us imagine and live into. When I was working as a youth pastor, I had a really mixed Bunch of young people, Um, there was some who had been in church their whole lives uh, in really good Christian families, and others who hadn't. But for the most part, they were all at a private school, and it was a middle to upper class church that I was working at. And so we often took time out to take the kids who had been in church their whole lives and to talk to them about what it would look like to make space for other people to come in who didn't know Jesus we taught about the way Jesus loved the outsider and called us to do the same. It's something we talked about pretty regularly. And then one night, this teaching got put to the test. I had a group of girls who had primarily been brought up in the church and had all been Christian for a while. And one particular youth night, a new girl came along who, even just from her appearance, was clearly an outsider. She was a total goth in all black, black lipstick, black makeup, black clothes, and she was a little bit rough around the edges. And she just didn't fit the middle to upper class crew that were coming along. And I felt like I made some real relational progress with her that night, having gone through a gothic stage myself as a teenager, I felt like I could relate. Um, And she actually ended up opening up um, and sharing a lot about her life, which wasn't good. She was telling me about drug and alcohol abuse and self-harm. And it was a current lived reality for her. She wasn't telling me her testimony as if, you know, God had changed everything and she was coming out of it. This was what she was going to be facing when she went home again that night. But all night, my other girls were acting really weird towards her. And so after youth, I had a chat with them and they said to me, if this girl keeps coming along, we're not coming back. And I didn't know what to do with that. I was totally shocked. Here we were, finally faced with an opportunity to love someone the way Jesus would have. And these girls were saying, if she comes back, we're out. We don't want anything to do with it anymore. And she didn't come back again, which is pretty sad. And I wish this wasn't a common story, but it is. I've heard stories of churches who have been praying for a move of God in their neighbourhood and in their city, and when God finally moves and brings people in to them, They don't want to have anything to do with it. And I think it reveals something in our hearts about who we are expecting that the kingdom is for. How would we respond? We pray for it pretty regularly. We talk about our neighbourhood and the people that we want to be invited in, but how would we respond if God moved and they did actually come and join us? The thing is, we can hear the stories that we talk about all the time here about the way that Jesus loved and opened himself and his life for others. And we can recite all the good reasons why loving the outcast and the outsider is a good idea. But when we're actually faced with the opportunity, with a real person in front of us, how many of us actually take it? Or harder yet, how many of us are actually in positions where we will actually be faced with the opportunity to love and to accept and welcome an outsider. And I'm going to turn this back on myself, one, because I think it will be easier for you to hear if I use the word I, but also because I need to hear this too. But how many times can I hear this message, can I read books about it, can I preach about it from up the front, and still do nothing about it, before I'm actually making a conscious decision not to follow Jesus into his kingdom imagination for the world. I feel like I really only have two options once I hear a message like this. The first is to decide to ignore it and to move on with my life. The second is to acknowledge that it's going to be awkward and difficult and confronting and it's probably going to push me outside my comfort zone, but then I need to take a first step and start practicing what it actually looks like because this is Jesus' imagination for what the kingdom on earth is. We can talk about neighbouring well and loving the outsider until we're blue in the face, but at some point we need to take the scary first step and actually invite someone in. Like it says in James 1.22, don't just be hearers of the word, actually do it. It's not enough for us to say that we are in and be excited about that. It's not enough for us to be excited that we've been invited to the table. We are now the messengers called to honour and to include others, even those we find it difficult to connect with, difficult to love. And we're called to invite them to the table, physically, actually around our dinner table, and also into the kingdom. Here is Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what you are joining when you join the kingdom of God. And so I wonder, is it what you imagined that you would be joining when you joined the kingdom? What did you think the kingdom would look like? It's often so unlike the first assumptions that we make about it, and Jesus blows our expectations out of the water and calls us out of our comfort zones. But perhaps more importantly, if other people were to see the way you do life, and particularly who you eat with, what would they imagine that the kingdom is like what assumptions would they make about what the kingdom is like if you are only ever inviting people who can repay you who look like you and who believe like you they might start to think that it's a club for those who are already in or something that you can only be invited to if they can if you can repay the favor we need to think about what we're inviting people into Our commission is to be invitational, to be the inviters to all sorts of unexpected people. When did any of us last have a meal with someone who we would identify as other or unexpected? And when was the last time we invited someone who we would consider an outsider to join the kingdom? N.T. Wright, one of my favourite scholars, puts it this way. He says, we have to work out what it would mean to celebrate God's kingdom so that the people at the bottom of the pile and at the end of the line would find it to be good news. I'm going to say that again. We have to work out what it would mean to celebrate God's kingdom so that the people at the bottom of the pile and the end of the line would find it to be good news. It can't just be good news for those who are already in. Those who are invited to be guests at the kingdom banquet are then expected to become the hosts. We both invite people to our dinner table, but also into the kingdom. And it's a powerful practice to participate in. There's a weightiness to our hospitality. It has the potential not only to bless others, but to start them on a journey towards Jesus and kingdom life. And this is not something that comes naturally to most of us. We joke about this being an introverted church, and I get it. Uh, It's tough but it's something that Jesus invites all of us into. It's not just a good idea, it's the way of the kingdom. And what better time than the new year to put some new rhythms and practices in place? So I've got a list of questions that I want us to think about, about what it might look like for us to start inviting people over for meals and into the kingdom. We're going to take some time between each set of questions to process them. The first is this. What fears are getting in the way? What fears are getting in the way? Where do you need courage to call or to message someone to invite them to join you for a meal? And who can hold you accountable in doing it? Where do you need courage to talk to someone about Jesus and invite them on the kingdom adventure? So, where fear's getting in the way. And when it comes to inviting people over for dinner, uh, showing hospitality towards strangers and people who we might not expect to be spending time with, one of the things that we've got to confront is what expectations are getting in the way. Where do you need to shift your expectations around what inviting someone over for a meal actually looks like? what expectations are getting in the way. We regularly place expectations on ourselves that our houses need to be immaculate and that the food needs to be something out of MasterChef. But if you're already cooking for you and your family, invite someone over and make an extra plate up of whatever you're having. It is really that simple. Shifting our expectations around what it looks like to have people over takes the pressure off of us And also, of them on feeling like they need to reciprocate with some fancy meal and clean house, also. This is a good one for the beginning of the year. What routines are getting in the way? What do you need to change about your routine to actually come into contact with new people who might be considered outsiders? What do you need to give up and shift in your time and priorities to make it work? What routines are getting in the way? This one can be really simple too, Um, I noticed, uh, so Tori and I live together, we had a house inspection last week, and I've noticed since spending time in our front garden, which is on uh, a major road, spending time gardening, pulling out weeds, at peak times when people are walking in the evenings, has already started helping. So yesterday, I went to the fruit and veg shop, the pop-up one that's on Galway Avenue on the weekends, uh, and I bumped into one of my neighbours, who I only got to smile at for the first time this week because I was actually out in my garden, and so we actually got to have a really good chat while we were picking out our fruit and vegetables. So it was literally as simple as me changing my routine of avoiding people, which is a habit that I have, and it's a really bad one, and one that I'm trying to break, But being present and taking time for people is so simple and yet we often don't do it. So it's going to be one of my goals for the year and you guys can hold me accountable to that. I'm going to stop avoiding people. It'll be great. All right. Final question. What desire for comfort, reputation or status are getting in the way? What desire for comfort, reputation or status are getting in the way? It's been really interesting, actually, Uh, we've been doing this series at 3.30 and one of the things that's come through really strongly in the discussions that I've been a part of over the last few weeks there has been how hard it is to find common ground with people who aren't Christian. A lot of people have said that the conversations can be pretty tough when you feel like you have nothing in common. This is one of those things that takes practice, but it also takes some sacrifice and giving up some of our comfort as we give up our right and our desire to be heard and to talk about the things that we love in order to create space for others to be heard and to hear what they love and care about. Hanging out with those outside your current circles might possibly also ruin your reputation and status with other people. It's tough, And there is a cost associated with kingdom living. In the very next passage, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship and he says, who when following me wouldn't first count the cost of what it would mean to follow me? We've said it before, this all takes practice and there is a very good chance that it will be awkward at first. I found my conversation yesterday in the fruit shop particularly awkward because I have been avoiding people and getting back into it is not always an easy thing to do. When I was learning to play the guitar for the first time, it took months before my playing actually sounded like a song. But I pushed through the awkward, hard part where your fingers feel like they're going to fall off and bleed, and it's horrible and it's painful, and now it's second nature. It's how practice works. And so when we first start inviting people over for meals and inviting people into the kingdom, it's going to be tough. There could be days where it's painful and it's hard, and that's actually okay. the only way to get better is to push through the awkward and the painful bits. Hospitality is a lot like that for those of us, it doesn't come naturally to, but I want to encourage you as we start this new year, give it a go and then give it a go again and again and keep going until it comes naturally to us. One really easy way that we could do this is to restart something that apparently is an old practice here called spontaneous lunches after church. I haven't been around for this, so I'm excited for us to have a think about what it might look like. But I think it's important that we practice looking around for new people and people we don't regularly talk to, and then invite them over after lunch for church. Nothing planned, not something that you have like messaged them about a week in advance, just inviting people over. In the Imagine Church series last year, I said that uh, people who have been a part of this community for a long time can still be feeling isolated and disconnected and unknown. And so I think this would be a really good way to help people in our community feel connected. So I want to ask, who can you invite over for lunch, maybe even today? But also, who can you invite from the outside? Because Jesus is pretty clear that only ever inviting friends and family over is not what Kingdom Welcome looks like. So what are your avenues for invitation outside this community? Inviting people over for meals and challenging who we invite isn't one of Richmond's practices because it's a nice idea, but because it's what Jesus spent his time doing and what we've been invited to do as well. Let's pray. King Jesus, we want to thank you for the way that you welcome and invite uh, us, people who didn't deserve it, who are probably unexpected participants in your kingdom as well and we thank you for the way that you have shown us love and you've welcomed us in we also know that you have called us to love and to serve to give and to welcome the way that you have and we also know how hard that is and so we need your strength and your spirit at work in us we pray that you would give us the courage to step out to welcome people to our table who it might be hard at first um, where the invitation could be difficult but we know that with you all things are possible and that you can give us the strength and the courage that we need to get through um, and to love people the way you do with no conditions. So Lord, as we go out, we just ask that you would go before us, uh, that you would open up opportunities in our lives, in our work, in our uh, hobbies, uh, for us to invite people over and that you would help us step out and have the courage to do so. All these things we pray in your son's precious name. Amen.